Welcome to Piano Rhapsody, an amateur's guide to classical piano. This is a podcast where you follow my journey as an amateur piano player, striving to play advanced works like Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue. Hopefully, as an episode of this very podcast one day. Every week until then, we examine a piece that I encounter along the road, exploring the history behind the work and the music within. The hope is that we all walk away with a little more musical knowledge and appreciation, creating a foundation to build upon to more complex works in the future. This is episode 9.1, the first episode in the next series of our Spotlight Tour of Musical History. In case there are some new listeners to the podcast out there, to recap the last couple of months, we spent time with Bach in the Baroque period, Beethoven in the Classical period, Chopin in the Romantic period, and then with Satie in the post-Romantic period, which brought us to the turn of the century in the early 1900s. This week, we're just going to tap on that dial of our time machines and jump ahead only about 20 years to the future. But perhaps more importantly than the time difference is the culture shock we're going to experience from the setting, because we're also going to fly across the Atlantic from post-romantic, impressionist France to the roaring 20s of the United States. The jazz age is in full swing during this era, and American songwriters are putting out songs that will be known as the Great American Songbook. For this series, we're going to redirect our spotlight to one of the most famous American songwriters during this time, George Gershwin, a man responsible for not only a host of classic Americana music, but also partially responsible for the namesake of this podcast. During the 20s, America and the rest of the world were still recovering from the aftermath of World War I, and one of the ways Americans chose to cope with tragedy was to dance the night away. Jazz was the most popular music at the time, and the mecca for jazz musicians shifted from New Orleans, where jazz music was born, to Chicago. Bands and orchestras found themselves led by jazz musicians like Duke Ellington, Fletcher Henderson, and Louis Armstrong. And recording companies were beginning to seek out jazz musicians to spread and popularize their songs. Jazz music also caught the ear of Broadway songwriters, who started to incorporate these stylings into their own shows. Initially, jazz musicians shunned the Broadway writers, as their melodies and harmonies were more complex and structured than traditional jazz music. But even these Broadway tunes became embraced by the time the 30s rolled around, and regularly included in jazz repertoire. The jazz hits of the 20s, including both the popular music recordings and the Broadway show tunes, were the beginnings of a compilation set known as Jazz Standards, which are still performed, studied, and revered 100 years later. These jazz standards are also a major foundational block in the entity known as the Great American Songbook, which I'll go ahead and let the Great American Songbook Foundation define. The Great American Songbook is the canon of the most important and influential American popular songs and jazz standards from the early 20th century that have stood the test of time in their life and legacy. Often referred to as American standards, the songs published during the golden age of this genre 
include those popular and enduring tunes from the 1920s to the 1950s that were created for Broadway theater, musical theater, and Hollywood musical film. Basically, this collection includes the cream of the crop, from some of the biggest American songwriters like Cole Porter, Irving Berlin, Hoagie Carmichael, Johnny Mercer, and of course, our man of the hour, George Gershwin. And why did this great American songwriting period end in 1950? Well, that's when rock and roll killed American pop and jazz. Rock and roll was so drastically different that it caused a culture clash between the older and younger generations. But the test of time always favors the younger generations, mostly thanks to the Grim Reaper. So our current popular music can be directly traced back to the roots of rock and roll in the 50s. But the hits from the Great American Songbook have not been forgotten. These songs are still staples in American culture and pop up throughout modern media. In this series, we're going to take a look at a couple of entries from the Great American Songbook written by George Gershwin and get a taste for the soundscape of America during the Roaring Twenties. This week, we're going to talk about a jazz standard from 1924, Gershwin's The Man I Love. Gershwin originally intended this song for the show Lady Be Good, but the song was axed from the final lineup and instead put into the 1927 show Strike Up the Band. The show was a modest hit, but the true popularity of this song was actually assisted by royalty. Lady Edwina Mountbatten, a relative of Queen Victoria and part of the English royal circle, heard Gershwin play the song at a party and demanded the sheet music to take back with her to England. The Man I Love became a trailblazing hit across London and Paris. This got the attention of American music publishers, who commissioned five different artists to record this song in 1928. Which kind of blows my mind. Could you imagine hearing five different people recording the same song in the span of a year? I think our copyright laws have changed quite significantly in the past century. Which is probably for the best. I think the world only needs one baby shark, or Gangnam style. The Man I Love has been recorded by many, many artists over the years, including a gauntlet of some of the greatest female voices in American history, like Peggy Lee, Ella Fitzgerald, Diana Ross, Billie Holiday, Judy Garland, Barbara Streisand, and in one of the more recent covers, Kate Bush. The song is not just limited to female singers either. You can find some versions with slightly tweaked lyrics that go by the title The Girl I Love by classic male singers like Tony Bennett as well. The song has also been featured on the silver screen in a 1946 movie, also called The Man I Love, about a New York lounge singer who moves to the West Coast. And I've never seen the movie, but I'm willing to bet that it's one of the songs she sings. Speaking of New York, this song is also prominently featured in Martin Scorsese's film New York, New York, where Robert De Niro plays a saxophone-playing band leader, and Liza Minnelli plays, yep, you guessed it, another lounge singer who knocks this song out of the park. 
The song was also featured recently in an episode of Westworld, the final episode of the Netflix series Pose, and in the 2015 Broadway musical An American in Paris, boasting an entire soundtrack packed with Gershwin songs. As the female lounge singers from the films might imply, this is a classic torch song, which is a love song where the singer laments on love, usually about a love lost, like the singer is still carrying a torch for someone, which is where the expression comes from. George Gershwin wrote the music, but his brother Ira wrote the lyrics, which depict a woman yearning about meeting the man of her dreams one day. Keeping the perspective of time and social norms in mind, this song was written only four years after women were given the right to vote in the United States. With the lyrics like, Someday he'll come along, the man I love, and he'll be big and strong, the man I love. The meaning behind the song may feel a bit archaic to a modern woman. I think singer Kate Davis sums up the sentiment behind the song very well when she says, the whole song is about how someday a man will come along and he'll be big and strong and until I find this man, I'm just going to sit around and feel sorry for myself. It's a beautiful song, melodically and harmonically. It's gorgeous and it's a piece of history. But looking at it now as a progressive, empowered woman, it's like, you've got to be kidding me. You know, it's kind of funny that I never really had to worry about socially framing a work on this podcast before until we introduced one with lyrics. It's something to think about and keep in mind. The music isn't the problem. Music is timeless. Our words, however? Well, that's a different story. So let's get into the music. With this song being covered so many times, it has dozens of variations and edits. I'm using a modified arrangement by Alfred Publishing here which seems to stay true to its Broadway roots, but there are definitely other options out there. This version opens with a cascade of falling and rising chords in a major key, which serves as an introduction. This is followed by the verse, which keeps the major key and sets the scene for the singer who is about to describe her dream man, including the lyric, every night I dream a little dream, and of course, Prince Charming is the theme. Speaking of Prince Charming, I could see this fitting in Disney's Cinderella. A dream is a wish your heart makes, it's all kind of similar. I wonder if the writers had Gershwin in mind. This verse is typically skipped in recordings of this song, maybe because it's mostly in a major key and doesn't quite fit the bluesy sentiment that the rest of the song carries. But whatever the actual reason, most recordings that you hear will jump straight to this part the refrain. We slow things down a little bit and milk this section, enjoying the beautiful downward harmonic progression. Mm -hmm. 
This refrain is what makes the piece. The chords are rich and transform the song from major to minor. The jazzy glue that ties this section together so nicely is the rampant use of chromaticism in the left hand to tie these chords together. Remember that chromaticism is the scale that utilizes all the notes going up or down the keyboard. So we hear the sense of the pitch dropping note by note. Let me isolate the left hand for you and speed it up a little bit. And later on in the chorus, Gershwin ramps it up with chromatic bursts. Coupling this left-handed filler with gradual chromaticism in the right-hand chords as well, and we have a winning jazz melodic line. From the refrain, we enter a bridge section which increases the momentum instead of returning to a second verse, which would bring us back to a major key. This section includes the upper range of the vocal part, unless the singer chooses to go for a big finish at the end. That brings us to another iteration of the chorus to close out the song. We hear those ear-pleasing chromatic shifts one more time, which close out this torch singer's lament and cement it as a timeless jazz standard. While I do believe this song loses a little bit of its magic as a piano solo. The chromaticism and harmonies are still just as rich. This is a rendition of the 1924 hit, The Man I Love, by George Gershwin.
Good stuff. Next week, we'll continue our brief trip to the Jazz Age with another standard by George Gershwin called Someone to Watch Over Me, one of my personal favorites. You can find the standalone recording of this song directly in the podcast feed. Check out Piano Rhapsody on SoundCloud for all of the tracks discussed on this podcast and more. You can find me on Twitter at Piano Rhapsody or email me at pianorhapsodypodcast at gmail.com if you want to reach out with any questions or comments. I'll be posting some of the versions and movie clips I talked about in this episode on my Twitter, so be sure to check that out. If you haven't already, please hit the subscribe button on your podcast player and consider rating and reviewing. It's the easiest way to never miss a new episode. Thanks as always for your time and your ears. I'll be back next week with more Gershwin. Until then.